Good morning, Mill City. Happy Father's Day again. My name is Stephanie Fetter. I'm our pastoral intern here at our church. Uh, who had a good dad joke? I can't really see you. Well, I've got one. Okay, can I tell it to you? Yesterday, thank you. Yesterday, I ran my fifth half marathon. So, woo, thank you. Thank you. So I might be utilizing this chair a little bit today. Uh, but so here's my joke. What do you call a runner who is wearing earbuds? I said, what do you call a runner who is wearing earbuds? <laughs> Dad joke, right? <laughs> uh, this week marks the third week in a series on the ways in which we picture God. As Michael mentioned last week, the pastoral team has noticed that a lot of us are in seasons of our life we're having questions and we're thinking deeply about how it is we picture God when all around us in the world, the way we talk about God is very different. The way we understand God is very different. We all have very, very different opinions about God. Over the last two weeks, Ramon and Mike have helped us to better understand the views we hold of God as Holy Spirit and Son, and today we'll talk about God as Father. Last week, Mike asked us a very important question. He asked us to think about, what is God like? And he asked all of us in the audience last Sunday to write down the first thing that came to our minds. What did you write? What is God like? Maybe you wrote that God is loving. Maybe you wrote that God is angry and has a lot of rules. Some of you maybe wrote that you don't think God is real. And maybe some of you didn't write anything because you didn't know what to write. And that's okay, because we are forever on a journey of discovering more deeply who God is, and maybe also who God is not. Our answer to the question of what God is like is important because it says a lot about how or why we may or may not believe, trust, or follow in that God. How we answer Mike's question also says a lot about how we view ourselves as sons and daughters of God. What is being a son or daughter of God like? We can't speak of God as father without addressing the fact that we all here in this room have very real fathers. And it's Father's Day, right? <laughs> Whether we are experiences of growing up as sons and daughters of our dads were positive or negative, we can all agree that our human dads aren't perfect because they're human beings. Today, as we talk about God as Father, it is important that we state right now in the beginning that this sermon is not about having or being the perfect dad. Instead, it's an opportunity for all of us in this room to reflect upon the ways in which our experiences of our human parental figures maybe or maybe not have impacted the way we then view God as our Father. And so, before we get started, I'd like us to pray together. <clears throat> Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us this morning. We pray that you would be in this room, that your spirit would fill our ears and our souls. If there's a message, Lord, that you would like us to hear about who you are as our dad, God, I pray that we would hear it. And I pray that you would guide me as I sit up here and share what I feel as though you've given me to share with our congregation today. In your holy and precious name, amen. 
When I was seven or eight years old, my dad invited me to go to a Gopher men's hockey game. And it was really exciting because our family, I don't know about you guys growing up, but our family growing up, going to an event like this was a special treat. Okay, and so I was so excited, not only to spend this quality time with my dad, but to go to a hockey game. I'd never been to one before, especially one at the University of Minnesota with all the college people that look so old and fun and cool. <laughs> and I remember sitting at the dinner table, and I think you'll, get, you'll see where this is going. I was sitting at the dinner table, we're talking about the game, my little brother's sitting across from me, we're eating spaghetti, remember that detail in about two minutes. And I'm starting to feel kind of clammy and kind of dizzy, and I'm not feeling well. But I knew that if I said that I was getting sick, my mom would not let me go to the game. And heaven forbid my little brother got to go instead. Okay? So I just masked as much as I could to look like a normal seven or eight year old, and I went to the game with my dad. And I don't remember the car ride or the first period of the game. But I do remember that hot, clammy feeling getting worse and worse. And I don't know when, maybe like halfway through, I got sick over all three benches of strangers in front of us. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really funny now. But man, I remember walking out of that arena feeling like I ruined everything. I was the reason my dad and I were not seeing the rest of the game. And I was also the reason I probably ruined all those strangers' nights. <laughs> that night, I internalized the lie that messing up meant missing out. Which only was further confirmed to my little heart when every time my dad got tickets in the future of that event, he invited my brother to go instead of me. <clears throat> Our experiences from a young age shape who we are and what we believe about ourselves. Likewise, our experiences of being sons and daughters to imperfect parents influence how we experience or expect to experience being the sons and daughters of God, our Father in heaven. The cut short hockey game with my dad became, greeting, became breeding ground for a lie that I am an inconvenience. In order to receive attention or approval, I began to believe that I needed to be perfect for fear that if I wasn't and I messed up somehow, that I wouldn't receive love or someone would be chosen instead of me. And what I'm starting to realize is that that is also how I view, at times, my relationship with God as Father. If I don't always, as perfectly as possible, follow the plans He has for me, or if I mess up in some way, or I sin in another way, that he or his love is limited, and he'll move on to somebody else. The words father, mother, parent, guardian hold many dimensions for many of us. Just as the photos Mike shared last week helped us to see the ways in which we have created Jesus in our own image, so too do we project our own experiences of being raised and parented by human imperfect parental figures into our pictures or onto our pictures of who we think God is and who we hope he's not. For some of us, maybe our parents weren't present, and so God feels really distant and far away. For others of us, maybe dad or mom seemed perfect, and so we placed him or her on a pedestal 
that only nearly God could even compete with himself. Maybe you're like me, and you're beginning to realize that you're afraid to trust God with your needs because at some point in your life growing up, having a need meant somehow you got left out or uninvited. And maybe for others of us, our relationships with our parents or our guardians or elders in our life are so painful that they are beyond words. I wonder, then, what it is for you. What is God as Father like in your life as a son or a daughter? What I want to present to us today is this. How we see ourselves as sons and daughters of our earthly fathers and mothers impacts how we see ourselves as sons and daughters of our heavenly Father. And more than likely, that picture is not the full frame. Embracing our identity as the sons and daughters of God sets us free from all that tells us that we are not enough. But it also requires that we reflect on the ways in which God may be calling us to reframe the picture we've created in our mind to be what we think he's like. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes about this very topic. In an attempt to encourage the Christians at the Church of Galatia, Paul reminds them of their identity in Jesus Christ. And so, Adam, if you want to put the scripture on the screen, we're going to be in Galatians 4 today. If you have a Bible or a Bible app with you, I encourage you to open it up, turn to chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4. You can follow along with me on the screen. It says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So to begin this journey of, Steph, why are we talking about this scripture? I want us to look first at verse 4. Here we see that Jesus, that God sent his son, Jesus, throughout the course of Jesus' life, throughout the course of all four gospel accounts, we see moments where we are told of or reminded of the relationship between Jesus and God the Father. Right away in Mark 1 verse 9, we see or we read the story of Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And in that moment, as he comes up out of the water and the dove ascends on him, there's an audible voice from God saying to him, Jesus, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. A little bit later on, we see Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray, and he uses the verbiage, our Father. Later, Jesus goes up on the mountaintop to pray, and he brings his favorites, Peter, James, and John, with him. And as they're up at the top of the mountain, to pray, the three disciples realize that Jesus is glimmering white, and I would assume they're a little freaked out by that. And in that moment, as Jesus is being transfigured, God says again, this is my son, speaking to the disciples, this is my son, whom I love, listen to him. And lastly, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying, and this is right before the guards come to take him away, and he yells out, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, not what I will, but what you will. God sent his son. 
Moving into verse 4, why did he send his son? It says, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And I don't know about you, but whenever I've read this verse before, when I've thought of adoption, I've thought of adoption in the context of what we think of it today, our modern context, which is a beautiful metaphor. Last week, we watched a video as a congregation for the Real Hope Project. It's incredible. It's hard, and it's scary, and it's painful, but it's a beautiful journey of adopting someone to bring someone into your family. But in order to think about and read this verse as Paul intended, we have to think within the context of which Paul is writing. <clears throat> and so we have to consider the ancient Near Eastern perspective of what adoption meant. And so for now, we need to set aside our current context of adoption and instead think of this verse, think of ourselves as adopted sons or daughters in the context of the ancient Roman Empire. You see, adoption in the ancient Roman Empire was a common practice for the purpose of distributing a father's inheritance. Although orphans, orphan children, were cared for, especially by the early church, the word adoption used by Paul here is referring to the cultural practice of adopting adult males who had already proven themselves in society to be worthy of taking on the space or the position of patriarch when he would pass away. Adoption served as a sort of safety net for patriarchs who either did not have sons of their own or whose sons they deemed unfit to be their heirs. Okay? Through adoption, fathers back then passed on um, all of their possessions and their property, which meant it included their families, their slaves, their authority, their name, their legacy, their political power. To be, as, to be an heir held a lot of responsibility because you were guaranteed that political and social economic power of the father in his small kingdom. If, adopt, if you were adopted, adopted sons had to forsake their natural families for their new family. And as the adopted, there was a rule that since you were specifically chosen for whatever it was that you had done, your new family could never forsake you. Isn't that fascinating? Despite the fact that some of these men had biological sons, some of them would still choose to adopt other men to be their heir. And so what that meant is, even if you were a biological son, you could technically still be set aside for somebody else to take your place as the heir of your family. But as the adopted, you never had to worry about that because you were guaranteed that place in your kingdom of, and you were guaranteed that authority. So keeping this image of adoption front of mind, let's continue into verses 6 and 7. Why does it really matter for adopted? Paul says, and it's noted with the because, it says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are a child, God has made you an heir. So what does adoption as an heir really mean? Well, according to Paul, it means that we are no longer slaves, but God's children and thus his heirs. By conquering the grave, Jesus defeated sin and was raised to life so that we too could be raised as co-heirs with him. It's only because of Jesus' death and rejection by the Father that we rise to the level of heir. And only through God's spirit that we are made heirs worthy of that authority of his kingdom. 
In the, in the context of the ancient Roman Empire, as we just discussed, this view of adoption to sonship is a really big deal because it doesn't just mean that we're welcomed into God's family and everything is hunky-dory, although it can mean that in some respects, right? It also means that we have been chosen. We are now the chosen heir because of Christ to receive the Father's kingdom and his complete authority here on earth. So then, what does this passage from Galatians tell us about what God is like? I think it tells us a few things. Through adoption, because God did what he did, God, we learn that God is a father who selflessly sacrifices himself for his children. God came to earth as a human male, adult male, so that he could redeem humankind so that we could be adopted heirs through him. He forsook his only and firstborn son, the heir, so that we could become heirs, so that we could become his sons and his daughters. God is a father who desires a relationship with his children. We learn this from this scripture as well. God, throughout history, has pursued his kids and kept his promise of covenant relationship with us despite when we turn away from him. That's why he adopted us. That's why he came here. Thirdly, God is a father who comes to our rescue. As we read in verse 5, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God rescues us from our sin and he restores us with the help of the Holy Spirit within us to rightful relationship with him and with others. Because of our father, we are no longer slaves to the world, but set free. And lastly, God is a father who provides for our every need. As heirs to the kingdom of God, we are given everything that is his. He does not hold back, but gifts us everything, including his own spirit. So what does this really mean for our lives? I think it means a few things as well. We are called to embrace, or we need to embrace, our identity as the sons and daughters of God, who we really are as followers of Jesus. We have been chosen and loved for nothing that we've done. When God spoke over Jesus at his baptism, Jesus had not done anything yet. All he had done was grown up to be an adult. Jesus was simply Jesus, God's son, no matter what. The same is also true for us. Through our identity in Christ, we too are chosen and loved for nothing that we've done or will do. God loves us simply because we are his. As we navigate our world and the pressures and expectations that come with that, we need to remember that our worth and our value and our callings don't rest in the hands of others around us and what they might think about us or what they might say about us. Only God defines who we are, and he is the one that calls us. By embracing our identity and our authority as sons and daughters of God, we are set free from the expectations of others. We bring Abba, Father, glory just by being ourselves in Christ. We also can live into our authority, or we need to. As heirs with God's spirit in us, we've been given power and authority, like Seth preached a couple weeks ago on God is king, us as heirs. She gave out those stickers and, gave, and told us to put them on things that we saw every day, the little crown to remind us who we are. 
As heirs, we are no longer defeated by death and by sin, but are set free. We are no longer slaves, but simply through our identity have the same authority as Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to make wrong things right in our world today. Because we can rest assured in this that our sonship won't change and it doesn't depend on our performance or our perfection, we have the freedom to be honest with ourselves and others about the areas in our lives that need help where we may need help to defeat sin or temptation so that we can receive healing. Just like parents want to give the best of their children but may not always know how to do that, our Father in heaven wants our best and wants to see us healed and whole. And lastly, we are called to accept our commission as sons and daughters of God. We have been given the responsibility to partner with God in the ushering in of his kingdom. We have been sent out to share the good news, to heal the sick, to minister to the lost and lives as adopted heirs with the authority of a king. Just as Jesus was sent out into the world, so we too are sent out. Embracing our identity and the commission as co-heirs with Christ opens us up to the redemption possible and waiting for us in our relationships with our brothers and sisters. As heirs in the kingdom of God, each of us is equal. We can therefore move confidently in the pursuit of reconciliation, knowing that forgiveness is the foundation by which we received our inheritance in full in the first place. And so to close, we're going to do a time, or enter into a time, of imaginative prayer. I'm going to give us a few minutes to reflect upon the ways in which it means to us right now to be the son or daughter of God, to be an heir to Christ. And so if you would, please close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, I want you to imagine God spending time with you. What is it that you're doing together? Where are you? Spend time together. And as you're spending time together, I want you to imagine God catching your attention in some way. How do you imagine that going? And as he catches your attention and he looks you in the face, eye to eye, he says to you, you are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. May you fully embrace your identity and your authority as the son or daughter of God the Father. Amen.